Welcome to New in Nashville. This is your host, Elam Freeman. I'm a commercial real estate broker and yoga instructor based in Nashville, Tennessee, and I am a Nashville native who has spent time living in Los Angeles and Washington, D.C. I have also traveled to all 50 states and visited nearly every U.S. metropolitan city bigger than Nashville. I am crazy about Nashville's growth and want natives, newcomers, and tourists to have the knowledge they need to keep up with our city's pace. This episode of New in Nashville is sponsored by Nashville Fit Magazine, Nashville's first and only magazine focused on keeping our residents fit, healthy, and active. As a go-to source for all things health and wellness in Music City, Nashville Fit Magazine is a lifestyle publication running stories on gyms, personal trainers, nutritionists, dietitians, and more. I personally love the way they have created events to bring Nashville's fitness community together in a way that didn't priorly exist. Connect with them online at NashvilleFitMagazine.com or on Instagram at NashvilleFit. Today's guest is Curtis Harrington. Curtis is a founding partner of Farmer, Purcell, White, and Lassiter. A large portion of Curtis's work is with small businesses who are affected by alcoholic beverage laws and licensing, as well as cannabis and hemp industry law and licensing. His expertise also includes, but is not limited to, contract negotiation, business formation, and entertainment-related matters. Curtis also authors a blog which can be found at LegalLibationsTennessee.com, which focuses on alcoholic beverage and cannabis industry matters. In our conversation, Curtis discusses his experience representing beer and other alcoholic beverage manufacturers, wholesalers, importers, and distributors, as well as retailers such as bars, restaurants, and retail package stores, on the ever-evolving legal landscape relating to the alcoholic beverage and cannabis hemp industries. It is evident that Curtis is passionate about the niche areas of law he practices in and that he can serve as a resource for businesses large and small, whether the business is still in the dream and planning stages or the business has operated for decades and is looking to expand or change. Curtis and his family moved to Nashville from New Orleans in 2008 and are happy to call Nashville home. Curtis enjoys spending time in the outdoors with his family, cycling, hiking, and experiencing live music. So I'm so excited to announce who we have on the show today. Um, We have Curtis Harrington with us, who is an attorney here in Nashville. Um, And we're going to just start with asking him some background questions. So welcome, Curtis. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here, uh, and uh, it's uh, an honor and a pleasure, and I've really been looking forward to it. Uh, I just listened to Kimberly Novosel's episode, really enjoyed that. I think I'll be reaching out to her to see if she has any mountain bike-guided adventure trips. Awesome. <laughs> you know, So, yeah, yeah I look forward to attending one of her classes and discovering great. more about her business. So, yeah, and she's yeah. right there in East Nashville, great location. Yeah. So, now, um, I think I think when you said attorney, you may have lost like half of your listeners, maybe, <laughs> if they by chance didn't read the description and just happened to stumble onto this episode. But hopefully we'll make it interesting. You know? Yeah, no, well, hang tight because <laughs> – what Curtis does is I think will be more interesting than you might initially think. Um, so just starting out, can you tell us a little bit about where you're from and um, what caused you to make the move to Nashville? 
Sure. Uh, I grew up in Natchitoches, Louisiana, uh, which is located in northwest Louisiana. Uh, my reference point for most people is Shreveport, Louisiana. Natchitoches is 60 miles south of Shreveport. Uh, it is the home of Northwestern State University. Um, it is the oldest permanent settlement in the entire Louisiana Purchase. Uh, Natchitoches was founded in 1714 by St. Denis. Uh, and so in 2014, we celebrated our tricentennial. So it's a very historic uh, uh, town. Uh, in North Louisiana, it's unique in that it shares many architectural elements with New Orleans uh, and, and some of the older uh, you know, areas of the, of the Gulf Coast. Uh, it was a major trade route destination uh, which is why it was it was settled by uh, French and then Spanish and then French again settlers. Uh, it's also the home of the movie Steel Magnolias. It's where that movie was filmed. No so way. If the history doesn't get you, the other half of the people usually they've heard of Steel Magnolias and and that warms their heart when I say that. For sure, definitely <laughs> yeah. a so, childhood favorite of mine. That's right. Uh, so a beautiful town, Northwest Louisiana. Uh, it is not Cajun country. And so it happens quite often when I meet someone here in Tennessee, they say, oh, you're from Louisiana, you're a Cajun. My wife and her entire family would vehemently disagree with that. My wife's from Homa, Louisiana, which is south of New Orleans. Um, and, you know, Louisianians say that they're sort of north of Interstate 10 and south of Interstate 10. North is country, south is Cajun, you know. Uh, so met my wife at LSU, uh, or the beginning of our junior year. We graduated together, moved to New Orleans, where we lived uh, through Hurricane Katrina. It's where I started law school. Uh, my wife is an environmental engineer for environmental resources management here in Nashville. Also worked at ERM in New Orleans. And we decided... After really after my uh, 1L year, first year of my law school year at Loyola, that, you know, we're both from Louisiana, uh, we're young, we don't have any kids, we'd like to try another location. So we looked at Austin, Texas, looked at Nashville, wanted to stay in the South. Um, Nashville is the first that just kind of made sense. Casey's company had has an office here. Uh, she put in a transfer request, was able to transfer seamlessly. Uh, in the summer after my second year of law school, I came up, stayed with a friend who was an attorney at CMT at the time, uh, was interested in music law and intellectual property, entertainment law. Uh, so came here. I worked as a law clerk for Metro Legal when uh, my current law partner, Mayor Bill Purcell, was then mayor. Didn't meet him until many years after. Uh, and, and when Mayor Carl Dean was legal director. Uh, so enjoy Nashville. Casey would come up every other week, and and we would just discover the city, spend time in the city. Uh, so I then put in a transfer request to Vandy uh, and transferred up my third year, uh, and we moved here in December of 2007. And, uh, and have, so I've been here a little over 10 years now. That's and, awesome. Uh, and we love it, and we love Louisiana. We love New Orleans, um, uh, deeply love New Orleans. Uh, but, uh, Nashville, Nashville's now our home. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Well, um, it's, uh, neat too, to hear someone that transferred during law school. Cause I feel like I don't hear about that that much. And I'm sure a lot of people just 
uh, consider it, but then or think it would be too hard to do. So congrats for finding a place you liked and making the move and being intentional about it. Yeah. And I, and I can tell you it, it is hard to do because you, you know, you have several networks, uh, throughout your life, but in law school, you know, you may have a family network, you may have a professional network if you're a working individual or worked prior to law school. And then you've got your law school network that you're building while you're in law school. Um, and I, you know, knowingly just kind of picked up and, and moved away from those networks, right. you know, into a town where, you know, we knew no one. Um, <clears throat> and so that is difficult. I knew the difficulty going into it, but it was also very, very exciting. Uh-huh. Uh, the possibilities and, uh, and living in a city that at that time, you know, really sparked an interest in us, uh, both personally and professionally, everything from landscape here in Tennessee to, you know, just a, just new environment and surroundings. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and luckily it's, you know, I think it's working out. So, yeah, yeah. Awesome. So you said that music, um, and entertainment law were of interest when you first came up here. So can you tell us a little bit about what you do and the types of clients that you represent now? Yeah. So today, uh, my practice is comprised of representing individuals and small businesses uh, in the area of civil as opposed to criminal law. Um, and about 60 to 75% of my practice uh, is focused in the alcoholic beverage industry. Um, and the remainder of my practice is representing individuals and small businesses in in both dispute-related matters, uh, in court. I'm a litigation attorney. Uh, I started my legal career as a associate at the law firm of Lasseter, Tidwell, and Davis. And uh, the majority of those attorneys from Lasseter, Tidwell, and Davis and the majority of the attorneys from Jones, Hawkins, Farmer, uh, and myself formed our current firm, Farmer Purcell White Lasseter, uh, about three years ago. Um and and so I was a litigation associate there, and <clears throat> and one of the partners at Lester Tidwell Davis uh, was Hank Hildebrand, who's a who's a partner with us now. Hank serves as the Chapter Thirteen bankruptcy trustee for the Middle District of Tennessee, uh, and has for for many years. He's the longest standing trustee in the country. Uh, he has also served as general counsel for the Wine and Spirit Wholesalers of Tennessee, WSWT, which is a special interest group comprised of the majority, large majority of the wine and spirit uh, wholesaler distributors like Lippman Brothers, Best Brands, Empire Distributing, those folks, Athens mm-hmm. Distributing in Tennessee. Uh, so Hank has been uh, deeply ingrained and involved in uh, practicing and developing alcoholic beverage law and policy in Tennessee for uh, 30 years. Um, and uh, so he began six years ago uh, asking if I could assist on you know certain periodic matters for the members if I had any interest in it, uh, and I did. And so that is you know, the origin of my exposure to alcoholic beverage law, uh-huh. uh, uh, which, which is a, you know, fairly niche, you know, area 
of practice. Um, and I also practice in what in Tennessee is a, you know, very new area of practice in law, which is, which is in the industrial hemp cannabis space, uh, here in Tennessee. So that's kind of my practice today in a nutshell, but the non-alcoholic beverage and even a portion of it in cannabis industry practices are setting up, uh, and, and representing LLCs, you know, corporations, everything from member disputes to intellectual property matters, trademarking, copyright matters, uh, contractual disputes and matters, and uh, and also land disputes and uh, and those sorts of things. So, gotcha. Yep. Awesome. Cool. So you kind of answer my next question about um, what kind of caused you to carve out that niche in the alcohol alcoholic beverage law, but. I also wanted to know whether you have a personal passion for breweries and distilleries and um, kind of if you um, enjoy exploring that world more in your recreational time um, and also what ways that you're outside of your legal work, you're involved in Nashville's alcoholic beverage community, whether it's um, professional groups or guest writing um, on blogs or I know you have your own blog, so um, take that where you would like. Yeah, sure. Um, so before I began to practice, uh, in the alcoholic beverage, you know, area, um, I did, I brewed a few batches of bad beer, but (laughs) I have for many years, uh, I'd say post-college years because, I wasn't first exposed really to craft beer until maybe the end of college and but really until I moved to New Orleans and I think Abita, you know, brewing was the first, you know, craft beer I ever had, you right. know, which was an amber and you know it wasn't I'd had, you know, Newcastle and things that aren't, you know, some of the big, you know, Miller Lite, Bud Light, you know, uh big brewery lager breweries but um and but you know learning about just that industry from a consumer perspective um, has has always fascinated me. Um, uh, learning more and more over the years about uh, how craft brewers are artisans uh, and how much you know goes into the variety, you know, the spectrum of products they create how they create it, ways they choose to kind of put their stamp and their mark on their products. Whereas before, you know, gaining exposure to the craft industries, craft distillery, uh, craft brewing, winemaking, always, you know, thought, and maybe at larger breweries to a degree this is true, but, you know, it's an assembly line process, you know, no different. It's it's making a liquid widget, you know. Um and, you know, that's not necessarily the case. You know, things can go wrong and, you know, any brewery or any craft manufacturer of any size and scale. And what I've learned now is it's no less impressive to go to a major facility um, and see the way that, you know, quality control scales up. You know, when you go to Sierra Nevada and Asheville, um you know, your mind can be blown in every direction by every facet, you know, from the pervious concrete pavers that you're walking on after you park your car and entering to their, you know, uh, amazing copper stills that are just 
just there for display uh, to walking through their entire production facility. So prior to my introduction to the legal side of the industry, I had a fascination with the industry itself from a consumer base, uh, but also from a business standpoint, um, you know, the economics of the industry have always, you know, fascinated me. Um, I wasn't aware, you know, before practicing in this area of law that we have a three-tier alcoholic beverage industry. I didn't know what that meant. You know, I'd never heard of that before. I never really thought of that before. And so in America, after Prohibition, uh, when it was repealed, uh, we set up a, a what's called our three-tier industry, uh, our three-tier system here in, in the United States, and that's tier one, manufacturer, your distillery, your brewer, tier two, your wholesaler distributors, and tier three, your retailers. Um, and generally speaking, at least as it was structured post-prohibition, those tiers uh, should not intermingle. That should be a, a, a structured separation, you know, in, in the industry. Whereas in other words, you don't have ownership uh, in with one individual, one company uh, in multiple tiers of the industry. Uh, and the tenets of that, you know, were uh, security regulation, uh, increased tax collection, you know, things of that nature. Um, and in most states, the large majority of states have adopted that three-tier industry and still practice in that way. Um, and in Tennessee, we do. Uh, and there are, you know, exceptions to that. Um, uh, but they're limited and for the most part, uh, that's, that's the way our industry is, is structured. And <clears throat> so, you know, I, through being introduced, uh, through the, the, the legal side of the practice, um, it began to really develop. I think you go one of two ways. Uh, you think it's a crazy area of law or you think it's a crazy industry and, and maybe you turn away because it is, you know, uh, it's a wild industry, uh, or your fascination deepens. Uh, and that's what, that's what mine has done. And so what I try to do to answer the second part of your question and what I like to do is just to be, you know, out in that world, in that community, uh, as much as I, you know, physically can. Uh, and, you know, I'm a family guy that likes to be at home at night. So that doesn't mean that I'm, you know, uh, you know, out drinking at every brewery or bar <laughs> or right. restaurant, uh, that I can on several nights a week. Um, but just trying to, to, to be engaged, um, and, and to see, you know, uh, uh, at least from my perspective, all of my clients are my friends, mm -hmm. you know, and they all do, you know, amazing things, uh, whether they're a brewery or a distributor. Um, and uh, so I like to get out. I like to, you know, go to their anniversary parties. I like to be engaged in their small business, you know, and bring my wife and my daughter there, you know, when they have festivals and when they have. Um, and I also like to contribute periodically to uh, our legal journals here uh, when there is a big, as there is right now, we have a big Sunday sales bill in front of the General Assembly. So I plan on writing about that um, and how that will affect the industry. 
Um, and uh, so anytime there's there are major developments, um, you know, I, I like to be there. I like to produce content uh, about those things and, and, and just be involved. And one of my favorite things to do is on average twice a year, I participate in uh, continuing legal, legal education uh, seminars as a presenter. Um, and my favorite one, and uh, it's taking place uh, April 27th, uh, and it's the second year is the Nashville Bar Association's Kentucky Bourbon Trail CLE. And so what we're doing this year is all participants get on a charter bus and on a Friday. And I present along with Judge Joe Binkley um, on the way to Lexington. Uh, we go to Keeneland. We enjoy races at Keeneland that day. We have dinner. On Saturday, we wake up two or three distilleries. There's CLE intermingled <laughs> into the distillery tours uh, with lunch, and then we come back. Uh, and so you get two and a half hours of CLE. You get an overnight trip with Keeneland and three distilleries uh, worked in, and that's a fun one. Yeah, that's awesome. And, yeah, and, uh, and so what I focus on there is, you know, when we depart Nashville, we're still on Tennessee soil. I talk about Tennessee whiskey. Mm-hmm. And uh, federal, state, local, um, you know, what are the definitions of Tennessee whiskey? What does it take to be a Tennessee whiskey? Uh, some interesting legal cases and disputes. Um, I talk about prohibition, a little more about the three-tier system and exactly how that's practiced here in Tennessee. Then we cross the line. I switch, a, I switch to Kentucky bourbon mode and uh, start to talk about Kentucky bourbon, what it takes to be a Kentucky bourbon. And uh, and so we have a sort of a Tennessee whiskey versus Kentucky bourbon, you know, presentation. That's a lot of fun. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. Uh, so yeah, so those are some of the ways that you know, outside of you know, kind of the work day that uh, I just try to you know try to stay engaged um, in in this industry that's moving you know so quickly in in a town that's uh, moving so quickly. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, that's really great, and so it is such an interesting industry that I feel like most people don't know very much about, even though they enjoy the product on a regular basis. So um, to be able to kind of bring that um, history and the legal side behind it is something that I think is um, really intriguing to people. And, you know, that's why all of these breweries and distilleries are doing tours and why those are filled up on most weekends. So that's really neat. And I recently heard that, I guess, Tennessee has done the same thing that uh, Kentucky did, where they have the tour, um, the whiskey tour, and or the bourbon tour in Kentucky, like the bourbon trail. And I guess Tennessee's kind of done one too. Do you know anything else about that? I do. Uh, so the Tennessee Distillers Guild, which is a great group, uh, I want to say in 2016, maybe in early 2017, unveiled the Tennessee Whiskey Trail. Uh-huh. Uh, and so there are now... Uh, 30 some odd distilleries in Tennessee, maybe 34, 36 distilleries. Um, and they're sprinkled from, you know, the Memphis area all the way as far east Tennessee as you can get before you're into the Smokies. Um, and so this whiskey trail is, uh, you know, a loosely defined, it's not, you know, one dedicated road or highway or anything like that, but, um, but check it out online. Uh, it's a great thing that they're doing, and uh, you know you can really just traveling from 
you know, for your middle Tennessee listeners, you know, you start in Chattanooga and just travel up to Nashville and that's about all you can handle in a, in right. a weekend. I mean, you could have a great weekend, just, you know, take your pick. I mean, visit is really more distilleries than you can fit into a weekend, yeah. really. Uh, so it's an incredible thing. Yeah. It really is. And, uh, and there's some great, you know, producers that are, uh, my friend Heath Clark of H. Clark Distilling, uh-huh. um, you know, he's, uh, he's, he's making a Tennessee bourbon that uh, it's got a high rye content to it, a really interesting taste. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, there are some Tennessee craft distillers. You've got the Moonshine folks, you know, which seem to be mostly located in East Tennessee, which is interesting. Uh, these new distilleries that their business model is, you know, uh, you know, just get your, you know, flavored moonshines, you know, on the shelves as quick as possible because there's a huge market for that. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got others, you know, like Heath and and some of the ones here in the Nashville area, Greenbrier Distillery, who I personally, uh, uh, they're like a celebrity to me. I just yeah. had a, a few weeks ago, um, they were nice enough to invite me to a really behind the scenes like solo tour and it was like you know going backstage at a rolling stone show or something yeah. like it's you know it's it was it had that level of an impact on me because i love their product so much yeah. um so yeah there there are great things happening you yeah. know here in tennessee and in that industry in that craft industry you yeah. know there there certainly are cool awesome um so yeah that kind of leads me into my next question what are your favorite, and maybe you already answered it with uh, talking about the the tour with Greenbrier, but do you have a favorite distillery and a favorite brewery here in the, um, you can, Middle Tennessee or all of Tennessee? Uh, not, you're going to think this is just a diplomatic, you know, answer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I'm being, you know, as an attorney who represents many industry members, that's right. answer. But I really don't have one. Yeah. So uh, it's like, to me, they're like genres of music, and I'm a big music, you know, guy as well. And it depends on your mood. Right. I mean, it really does. Uh, you know, some nights, you know, uh, I typically have one beer and like one bourbon a night. You yeah. know, that's kind of, you know, that's that's my thing. And, uh, you know, some nights you're feeling, you know, a stout or, you know, some hazy juicy, you know, New England IPA, whatever it is. And, uh, and some nights you want, you know, a scotch and some nights you want a Kentucky bourbon that's round and, you know, tastes like caramel and brown sugar. And some nights I want, you know, Heath's Tennessee bourbon that's got that rye, interesting kind of back end to it, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it really depends, you know, on, on what I'm looking for. Uh, you know, some of the folks I think in middle Tennessee, uh, you know, that are, making beer right now, you know, that I'm really enjoying and keep going back to, uh, or mantra artisan ales and, and steel barrel, their new, their new brand. They're putting out some interesting things. Uh, Smith and Lentz and Southern Grist are right in my neighborhood. And, uh, even if they weren't, I would travel, you know, uh, over mountaintops to get there <laughs> and, uh, enjoy their product. Uh, Zahn's, yeah. Uh, Ken Redman of Zons is, I mean, he and Linus are, are kind of two of the, 
you know, uh, you know, oldest kind of almost founders of, you know, of the industry, craft brewing industry here in Nashville, uh -huh. in this area, in Tennessee, really. Yeah. Um, and their product shows it, mm -hmm. you know, it really does. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fan of many, yes. you know. Yeah. Well, that's part of the one thing that I love about it is like you can, you're always exploring and there's yeah. always like new things to learn or new things to try because these brewers are so creative that they're always yeah. putting a new spin on it. And I can tell you that there are several on the horizon that I'm very excited about. Uh -huh. Very excited about. Um, and it's funny. I, you know, I see, you know, I set up LLCs and operating agreements and investor agreements, you know, for these breweries. And it's, you know, I see the numbers. Mm -hmm. uh, I know what it takes to start a brewery and every time. And I, I don't know if it's just, you know, naivete or what it is, but, you know, I receive a new referral, I get a new call and it's a new brewery. And I think this is it. This is the one. This is critical mass. You know, yeah. it's, surely we can't sustain another brewery. Right. You know, surely uh, our market can't take it. And they open up. And they're doing great and everybody's happy. And we all know, you know, the increased population statistics, you know, uh, how many people are moving to Nashville, greater Nashville area, you know, per month. Um, and it's staggering. Um, but I think that. But then, uh, you know, a couple of months ago, I was in Asheville for a, a friend's, a dear friend's bachelor party. And, you know, we were visiting breweries and just walking around. And you can really just drop into any area of Asheville and you're like, uh, I see right now five breweries, yeah. you know, around me, like just as I spin, you know. Right. Uh, and that's a much smaller, you know, city that's got more per capita, you know, than Nashville. So, um, so I like to think with, you know, the current – the uh, state of Nashville, just kind of where it is. And I know, you know, you're fascinated with the growth and, mm -hmm. and comparisons between Nashville and other cities yeah. uh, really interests you. Yeah. And I know you talk about that a lot uh -huh. on, on your podcast. Um, but I think there's always a place for just small neighborhood feeling, you know, I hate to use the word craft over and over, so I won't. I'll try to find, you know, another word. To use. But just those small intentional businesses, right. you know, that are owned and operated, you know, by, you know, uh, guys and girls and who have families that, you know, uh, that they've left their, you know, job at XYZ to start this thing and get it going. Right. Um, and I think there are many other cities in the country that I like to think we're on the path and following, um, you know, as a model, old, you know, older, larger, more metropolitan cities mm -hmm. um, that uh, where this has worked, you know, For sure. and 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 I feel like it's working here. So but I still say that to myself, you know, with every new call and new consultation. OK, this is it. This is the one right. you know, where they all come crashing down, you know, right. Uh, but it hasn't seemed to happen yet, you know. So Yeah. No, I completely agree with you. I mean, it's just like it's infiltrating even to kind of uh, suburban markets in Nashville and just with Yazoo's recent um, announcement of going to Madison. Yeah. And I think I'm sure they saw a demand up there and 
for a long time. It's just been a bunch of big box retailers and kind of chain restaurants. But you're seeing little kind of outlets pop up. Dee's Country Cocktail Lounge is up there. And, you know, I think they have a little bit of a following. And just that's sort of what I guess the millennial generation is demanding. Yeah. And, um, you know, we saw I represented and assisted opening the Madison Beverage Warehouse, which is a great retail liquor store there in Madison. It was the first after the city council expanded the uh, urban district overlay uh, to where you could, you know, uh, open up a retail liquor store there in Madison. And so that was really my first exposure to the Madison area. Um, I have a client who's planning a brewery uh, in Donaldson. Um, And I tell you, Donaldson has got, you know, a lot of great stuff going on. And I think the demographics here uh, uh, really, you know, show a need for just, you know, businesses, you know, like that, that are not chain businesses, that are more neighborhood-oriented businesses, like you see in East Nashville, like you see in Sylvan Park. Uh, I think Donaldson's really an untapped market. Uh, in several hospitality areas, yes. you know, intentional local hospitality businesses. Um, I've uh, uh, got a friend and client, uh, Monty Weathers, who owns uh, Monty's Barbershop. He's in the arcade. He's on the west side. He just opened a location in Donaldson, and it's okay. it's it's going great. He yeah. loves it. Yeah. And the response of a barbershop, you know, that's just a local, again, intentional, like, well-run, like cool barbershop. It's, it's, it's fantastic, you know? So I think a brewery <laughs> would go really well. Oh, for <laughs> it, sure. I think it'd go over really well. So. Yeah. Well, it seems like I've been to the homegrown tap room over here. So, yeah. and it seems like every time I'm in there, it's covered up. They have good food. They have lots of different um, craft beers and yeah, I completely agree with you. And we've seen a few of other, you know, places that are started in Nashville and they want to do a second location and Donaldson I think is a more affordable um, option where there's also going to be less competition. Sure. Yeah. It's, um, you know, if you're looking to open a craft brewery in the Nashville area, um, you know, location like so many businesses uh, is, you know, is often, you know, if you've, uh, uh, you know, assuming you've already, you know, been over your financial hurdle, maybe your initial capital. Uh, but if you have some money to spend and, and, you know, you're ready to sign a lease, just finding that property is becoming so much more difficult than it was even three or four years ago. Right. You know, think about every brewery you've been to. What does that look like? Mm -hmm. You know, you've got the manufacturing space, even if you've got a warehousey type of building, you know, that, you know, may have a roof that's high enough, maybe not, maybe it has sprinklers, maybe it doesn't. I mean, you're still looking at a significant, significant investment uh, to get that production ready. Right. Um, and so it's tough. It's a unique, mm-hmm. you know, type of space um, that's required. Uh, and it's, it's hard, you know, yeah. there, there are several clients of mine who are just waiting right now. They've, yeah. they've got everything lined up. They've got a great idea. They've been brewing a long time. They've got money. Some even have equipment already and just 
just can't find the location. Yeah, just yeah. can't find the location. Uh, so luckily, I have some great relationships and in uh, the commercial real estate, you know, area and and uh, and and so you try to put as many feelers out as you can, right. you know. Um, but it's a you know, and then you find a location, and ideally, when somebody you know phones me for the first time. They're looking at several locations, and I can assist in analyzing those first uh-huh. um, because we have location restrictions, you know, in our municipal code. So mm-hmm. are you too close to a school? Are you too close to a, uh, you know, a church? Are you? And so I've had the extremely unfortunate circumstances in the past of a client coming to me, hey, I just signed a lease, hey, we just been out, and, you know, maybe they're they're too close to one of those enumerated, you know, things in the code. Right. And it can cause a, it can cause a big problem. Yeah. You know? Um, so uh, if you're out there looking at locations, you know, for any type of business that uh, serves alcoholic beverages, uh, doesn't have to be me, but contact an attorney and just and see what advice you can give, you know, so you can get somebody to look at your location and before you sign, before you ink anything, that's that's for sure. Definitely. That's usually my number one piece of advice. Like, what's the first thing I need to be thinking of? Have you signed a leash yet? Right. You know? <laughs> so <laughs> so <don't>, yeah. <laughs> that's the threshold question, really, that I ask, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, so, that's really smart, yeah. I think. Um, and it seems to me that just from several people I've talked to in the industry that people are really supportive of each other, like brewers that have been in the industry a long time when – other um, emerging breweries want to get started and want to brew on a large, larger scale that's not in their home. They'll even kind of sublease their space or let them use it later at night, which is really nice that it's um, people are seeing more room and aren't trying to kind of cut each other out because they see each other as competition. So. Yeah, uh, I I agree with that 100 percent. And and I've seen it. Um, and, you know, when. <clears throat> Smith and Lentz, I'll use them as an example. Uh, they had a location, a first plan location, which was directly across the street from Zahn's and mm-hmm. Sobro. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sort of wondered, like, how's this going to work? Like, you know, how's Ken going to feel about this? As, mm-hmm. uh, and so they invite me for beers one night mm-hmm. at Zahn's. And so, you know, we're all talking and, and they're just going on and on about, you know, their brewery district and they, how great it's going to be and yeah, this and this, all these ideas, you yeah. know. Um, and <clears throat> and then their location burned <laughs> to the ground. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and so there was a, a you know, a, a serious scramble uh, and flurry of activity. And, uh, and, and they got lucky and stumbled upon the location they have now, which is fantastic on Maine, you know, in yeah. East Nashville. But... But yeah, I've seen that with uh, smaller breweries who, you know, get hung up, you know, whether it's, you know, with investment or in a location issue or a build out's taking longer than they wanted. They really need to get product out there uh, and and really want to start touch, you know, touching the marketplace and touching those customers. So working contract brewing, you know, sorts of arrangements where, okay, uh, what time do you brew uh, from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m.? All right, we'll see you at 8.30 with our equipment. Right. And, uh, and, uh, and we'll come in and, and make our beer, you know. Uh, you know and, I, and so it's, yeah, that's, I've seen that time and time again, yeah. you know. Um, I, I certainly have. Tennessee Brew Works 
They were very kind to Smith and Lentz after their location burned. They had nowhere to put all this equipment. They allowed their equipment, you know, which is which was took up a significant, you know, sizable space right. to be stored in in their brew house. So mm-hmm. I, I could go on and on about examples, you know, in that industry. Yeah. Um, and uh, of good people working together, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so I know that you also have a blog, and we've talked a little bit about how um, there's, you know, and now and nowadays growing a business or growing a practice, um, a lot of people are using social media, and there's needs for branding, and particularly your clients. A lot of the ways that um, people in the food and beverage industry grow their following is through Instagram and particularly seems like the big one right now, but also Facebook and Twitter. Um, For you, how have you seen um, that with your legal practice? Since that's not something historically that I feel like lawyers have um, used. And how do you kind of balance the two? Do you choose to outsource it? Um, How important do you think it is in your field? So uh, I'll first say before I answer your question that um, I'll say to your listeners that I'm 37 years old. And I say that because after I finish saying what I'm about to say, they're going to say, wow, like he sure does speak very youthfully for a 77 year old. And the reason I say that is because prior to 2017, I had, and I've never had uh, a Facebook account, Instagram account, Twitter. I had zero social media. Um, and it's not because I take, you know, a personal stand against Facebook or any one social media platform. Um, I just, it's, it's just not me and hasn't been me. You know, I'm a fairly simple guy. Um, after, you know, a long day at work, I like to, you know, hang out at home, have dinner with my wife, you know, go on long bike rides at night, long runs at night. Um, and that's my way to kind of decompress and, and stay grounded, you know, uh, you know, I'm at a desk all day, right. you know, essentially I'm on a computer all day. Um, and I'm an outdoorsy guy. Uh, and so I need that. Um, and, and so I've never really felt compelled, you know, but, uh, I began to sort of have an itch that I needed to scratch and that itch was, you know, I want to, you know, kind of spread uh, both content I want to produce, you know, messages, um, but also just kind of reach out, you know, and touch, you know, members of my community, um, uh, spread awareness of my practice area and what I'm doing, uh, promote my practice area. Uh, and, And so this is something that you know, I think I'm ready to engage in and ready to do. And so I started this process by just starting a, you know, a a blog page on, you know, our firm's website and contributed to that a little bit, uh, but didn't really do too much. Um, And then Jamie Lee of Southern Grist Brewing, he and I were having a beer, just kind of talking, chatting, uh, uh, my, our daughter was just born. Uh, he has a little girl and now a, a, a newborn uh, who's a little older than my girl. So we were just kind of talking, you know, about being dads, new dads, you know, giving me some advice. 
uh, and then our discussion sort of swayed into the professional realm. Um, and I was just telling him what I'm just telling you, you know, and <clears throat> because th those guys do a great job on their social and I was kind of, com you know, commending him there. Mm -hmm. And he says, you know, you really ought to meet this guy, Warren Bondi. And I said, okay, you know, who's he? He says, he's an owner of beer marketeers mm -hmm. and he just moved to Nashville from Florida. He's been in the industry a while. Uh, he worked for a distributor in Florida. He's from New Orleans. I said, oh, he's from New Orleans. <laughs> And uh, and he started while at Tulane, this company, Beer Marketeers, and he's kind of been doing that, you know, the entire time. Mm -hmm. And uh, you really ought to meet him. I don't know if it'll work out, but I'll make an email introduction. So he did. Met Warren. You know, Warren represents, uh, you know, alcoholic beverage industry members. Had never, you know, represented an attorney. Was a little apprehensive about it. You know, how can I really help you? And I really don't know. I haven't put too much thought into this, but I can tell you this. Well, I don't even have a Facebook page. Like, <laughs> never have, right. you know. Um, so he's really helped me to kind of wade into those waters. Mm -hmm. And so what we do is, you know, I produce all content. You know, I draft, you know, my blogs. He makes them look good. Mm -hmm. uh, he he helps, you know, promote everything. Um, and he's you know, aside from being a, you know, brilliant, talented, you know, designer and just knowing that industry, you know, and knowing what it takes um, and helping me think of, you know, new, fresh marketing ideas. Most importantly, he's a finger on my back mm -hmm. and he's saying, hey, man, hey, man, hey, man. And he'll listen to this and I'm, he's laughing right now <laughs> because it's like I get so busy, you know, and, and if I have, a, you know, a trial one week or I have a, whatever it is. Uh, or a closing, you know, whatever's going on, it's, it's all consuming, right? you know, because um, I also have, you know, when you have a small child, all of your spare time, you know, is is consumed, you know, by that. Right. Um, so it's tough. So I may not respond to him. You know, <laughs> I've got clients I need to respond to right. first, you know, wanted, uh, and but he's that finger on my back. He keeps me, you know, motivated. And I don't do 2%. Mm -hmm of, you know, what he suggests I do and what I could be doing uh, in the social media space and content production space. I could do so much more and would love to do so much more. But, you know, there are only so many hours, you know, right. in the day. But but signing up with Beer Marketeers and Warren has has really been huge for me. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it really has. Um, and... Uh, yeah. So. Right. No, that's awesome. Well, and you're probably doing a hundred percent more than most uh, other legal professionals. So. Um, yeah. In, in maybe. That, maybe. <laughs> in that arena. So I guess hopefully, in at least in that area, your competition might not be <laughs> quite as high as it would be for a you know whether it's a brewery or a restaurant or something right. like that where it's just like that's really the kind of key marketing tool and um, right. that's how you get people to walk through your doors. Right. So. And and really for me, it's about, you know, getting content, you know, I would rather, you know, post and, and push content, you know, uh, 10%, you know, of the time I could, and it be, you know, something that's worth reading. Right. And, not thinking, hey, you know, I need to, you know, uh, publish content every, you know, three days just mm -hmm. because that's, you know, for X, Y, Z purpose. Um, I really just need people knowing 
you know, that I'm out there, maybe every now and then something entertains them or something, you, you know, uh, directly applies to their business. You know, I'm a, the Tennessee Alcoholic Beverage Commission, you know, uh, issues a new, you know, policy or publishes new rules, you know, or the feds publish new rules that affect breweries. Well, they may not otherwise hear about that. Right. And, uh, you know, so they may see, you know, my post, they may read about it, then have questions and follow up. And so those things are important. But it's really, you know, it's it's important, too, for other attorneys, Mm -hmm. not just, you know, business owners out there, Mm -hmm. but to know like, Hey, you know, I represent Hotel X, Mm -hmm. you know, who is purchasing Hotel Y. Uh, You know, we have every piece of this, you know, acquisition puzzle figured out except the liquor license and beer permit portion of this. Mm -hmm. What do we do? What's our timeline? We don't certainly don't want an interruption in service in our restaurants and our whatever you know whatever that hotel may contain. Uh, so you know it's good to have those individuals, me, uh, kind of on the frontal lobe, mm-hmm. you know, right. uh, as as one of the names maybe uh, that they have, one of the options that they have, and individuals they can call when they're facing something like that, and and you know that sort of uh, uh, recognition, just exposure, mm-hmm. uh, I think has been, you know, increasing, you know, on an upward, you know, steady, steady increasing trend, uh, you know, year after year. But I think certainly getting out there, publishing yeah. content, you know, the CLEs, I think, I think you kind of have to, you know, being on a great podcast and, you know, <laughs> I th- I, but anything you can, you know, right. I, I think it all helps, right. you know. And it's really a model that follows any business, yeah. but uh, but you're right. The legal profession is it's a it's a little different. You yeah, know? it's really about relationships. Yeah, you know, um, and not just a a widget, a project, uh, you know, a, a, a product. Um, it's uh, yeah, service service industry. You yes. know, professional service industry, relationship based. You know, yeah, so. no, for sure. And have you found any? Um, kind of hurdles with having one fit foot in a traditionally casual industry um, and another in a traditionally more kind of buttoned up industry and um, how have you found and I'm sure we've already kind of covered a lot of this but uh, how have you found that you are able to bridge a gap and kind of overcome stigmas on both fronts yeah um, so I think it's you know just no matter you know, who your client is or what type of business they are or individual, um, it, what industry they're in, it's remembering your role. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm the attorney at Dunder Mifflin, you know, right. really. <laughs> but but it's it's really remembering, like, yeah. I'm not part of the band. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, I'm not a you know, assistant brewer. I'm not, like, I don't have fabulous marketing ideas or I don't have, you know, the idea for the next beer that's going to say, you know, mm-hmm. it's remembering my role. Right. And it's it's just being honest and truthful and, you know, in that and cognizant of that, like, you know, hey, guys, I really love what you're doing. Like, I love your product. Uh, 
hopefully I'm going to show you that, you know, by uh, doing a great job for you, uh, you know, being there when I can uh, and just supporting your business. Um, and uh, but but, yeah, also just kind of, you know, remembering who I am. I'm the attorney. And and it's, you know, when someone, you know, pays me a fee, uh, you know, they're not in exchange receiving a shiny new truck or a shiny new tank. Um, and so, you know, that can be, you know, difficult. You know, I'm sometimes, I mean, it's certainly a necessary evil, <laughs> you know, in most yeah. cases. Um, it, and, uh, and it can be a bitter pill to swallow because it is intangible, you know, um, and whether it's on the front end and, and it's the ounce of prevention, like, hey, you know, our budget's tight, but, you know, uh, we really want to think about trademark from, you know, day one and we want to set up this company right and, and we want to incur the expense of an operating agreement because we want to grow and we want to take on investors and we want to do all this right from step one. Or if it's pound of cure on the back end, you know, uh, um, it's uh, it can be a you know, a trying, uh, relationship, you know? And so what I like to do is really understand, you know, what this client needs at this time, what this client's budget is, you know, now, mm -hmm. what do we need to do now and offer, you know, what I sort of casually refer to as the shot, the pint, the keg level of legal service. Mm -hmm. And so you come to me and you say, Hey, you know, I really want to get business X off of the ground. Uh, this is 100%, you know, everything I'm doing now is what I'm pouring all of my energy into. How can I help you? You know, how can we work as a team? I say, okay, well, come in, let's talk about that. You know, maybe this is the shot level of, of service, you know, where you come in, I can show you how you can help me. Um, and then the pint and the keg is like, hey, look, you know, I've got another career. I've got a family. I want to get this open by this date, if at all possible. You just, you know, keep me apprised. Let me know where to sign. Like, let's let's just do this, right. you know. Um, and I think that's where, you know, putting that level of thought, planning, and just care for the client mm -hmm. um, is is sometimes where, you know, I may be a little different, yeah, you know, certainly. than other, you know, firms or, or attorneys. So, yeah, that's great. Awesome. Um, okay. So moving on to another area that you've been, uh, another, a different area, but related industry that you've done some work in, um, I know you've done some work in the cannabis industry and now that weed is legal in other States, I wanted to know, um, you know, what that is looking like here in Nashville. I recently read about the City Club, um, a formal business organization, and that they hosted a lecture titled Investing in Cannabis Companies and Legalization Efforts in Tennessee. What can legally be done with cannabis in Tennessee and how soon until we legalize? And um, where do we compare to other states in that process? Yeah, uh, I, I wish I could answer how soon until we legalize. And uh you may know and some of your listeners may or may not know that, you know, the medical cannabis bill, that was the big cannabis bill in front of the General Assembly this year has, has 
just died. Okay. Um, so it's done, Mm -hmm. you know, so they'll, you know, kind of pick up and dust off and, and hopefully try again next year. Mm -hmm. Uh, the event at the city club, it's funny you mentioned that I I was there in attendance and it was, and it was a great, great panel discussion. It was, it was largely focused on the bill Uh and the details of the bill. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, and what they were trying to do and what Senator Faison was, you know, trying to do and, and uh, Representative Faison and Senator Dick, Dickerson. Um, and unfortunately, you know, that's that's failed. But, uh, you know, how we compare to other states, you know, I mean, you could compare us to, you know, some other red states and say we're, you know, way ahead. Uh, and, and we're obviously, you know, really far behind if you're if you're pro medical, you know, pro cannabis to any degree, mm-hmm. uh, then then, you know, obviously there are, you know, states that are full recreational. Um, but, you know, in comparing us to a neighboring state, you know, the state of Kentucky, uh, you know, we've kind of slipped behind Kentucky and I think several, you know, areas uh, you know, I think our water, uh, is, is just as good as Kentucky's. And I think we actually have more bluegrass in our state than Kentucky <laughs> in terms of the actual like strain of grass, you right. know, <laughs> and they're the bluegrass state and, and, uh, became famous for bourbon and horse racing, you know, because of that limestone water, which we, which we also have, uh, they years before us, uh, legalized and, and facilitated, you know, the structure of a cannabis industry in the form of industrial hemp. Um, and industrial hemp is what's currently legal here in Tennessee. And industrial hemp um, is cannabis, and it's cannabis which contains less than three-tenths of 1% THC content. And... Uh, you know there there are lots of misconceptions about you know what is and what is not legal in Tennessee as we sit here today mm-hmm. you know forget about the medical bill uh which would have been great and would have really expanded the types of products but really more so uh the individuals you know who can who can possess you know higher THC you know, medical cannabis products, individuals who have, you know, painful diseases and, and, and disorders and those things, but also made it more accessible to purchase, mm-hmm. you know, really the, the higher THC, you know, kind of full spectrum, you know, medical cannabis. But there was, it was two weeks ago uh, on the eve of, of a big day for the cannabis bill in front of the General Assembly mm-hmm. uh, where it was being you know, presented and argued, uh, on, I think it was channel five on local news. It was a story about uh, a 15 year old guy here in middle Tennessee, uh, who suffered from multiple seizures, daily seizures, uh, since he was, you know, two, three years old and how, you know, he was on, you know, a full array of anti-epileptic medication, uh, that didn't work and suffered year after year after year until finally his a relative or a friend or uh, I don't remember how they, you know, discovered it and, and came to try it, but tried cannabis oil 
and the cannabis oil works for him. And, you know, initially, you know, greatly reduced his seizures. You know, he titrated off his anti-epileptic meds. And, and today it's the only thing that works. And he's on no, you know, pharmaceuticals, no anti-epileptic medications. So the story, you know, and, you know, they're saying, and it shows a video inside the family's home. And there's mom, dad, and there's the 15-year-old son. And they say, you know, this is why, you know, we're in support of this bill. We need, and then they show the product that he's using, and it's Charlotte's Web, which is a product produced by the Stanley Brothers. Um, and and there's a ton of information online about the Stanley Brothers, and they're based out of Colorado, and they were the first to develop this strain for a girl named Charlotte uh, of this high. CBD oil. You know, there are many cannabinoids, you know, in the plant. THC is the psychoactive, you know, gets you high. CBD is, is, is high in, you know, uh, so many other beneficial properties. Mm -hmm. And they had found and kind of isolated this as an anti-epileptic compound for, you know, not for everyone. No, no pharmaceutical works for everyone either. But for lots of people and it works for her. And so then they, you know, developed it. In, so, and it was called hippies disappointment initially, <laughs> the high CBD, uh-huh. you know, type of strain. So they hold it up and that's what he's using. Mm-hmm. And I think to myself, that product that he's using, low THC, mm-hmm. high CBD, which is industrial hemp federally, is 100% legal here in Tennessee. And I don't think the son knew it, and I don't think, or knows it, I don't think the mother knows it, the father knows it, the interviewer knows it, because they're there in his house saying, this is why we need this. We're having to buy this. And it's Stanley Brothers. And there are several producers here in Tennessee. One of them is Tennessee Homegrown. Uh, They're a producer, fully 100% organic, uh, their farm, they're licensed through the Tennessee Department of Agriculture as a grower and a processor. Their farm is located in Reddyville, Tennessee, and they're producing uh, their their lab test results are you know online. They'll show cannabis oil products with as high a CBD profile as this product that this family was holding, and you know that's. It's frustrating to me and not because, you know, uh, well, you know, I would rather see, you know, dollars flow through Tennessee and and into, you know, Tennessee businesses, you know, Mm -hmm. like Tennessee Homegrown or some of these other producers of cannabis oil and high and industrial hemp, Uh uh, you know, CBD products. But, you know, that made it on like the nightly news, you know, there at, you know, 630, like that was the big story. Yeah. And it, it was, it was a misconception, Yeah, you know, and, and, and an ignorant, you know, really innocently ignorant, you know, report. Right. Um, and so, you know, if there are any, uh, anyone interested kind of, you know, in the legal realm and specifically finding out more about what is currently legal, you know, here in Tennessee, um, so, and I'll give, a, I apologize, a few legal citations, but <laughs> uh, right. Tennessee Code Annotated 
3917402 contains the definitions of drugs here in Tennessee uh, and the schedules of those drugs. And inside 3917402, you can read about chamber pipes and carburetor pipes and electric pipes and bongs and ice pipes and all these things. And in uh, paragraph 16, uh, you'll find the definition of marijuana, and it's a long definition. Um, but in 16D, you'll see excluded from the definition of marijuana is industrial hemp as defined in TCA 4326-102. So then you go to 4326-102-4, uh, and you see the definition of industrial hemp here in our state. Um, and that's where you find uh, the definition, which includes the level of THC that can be present. Uh, in in uh, a cannabis strain here in Tennessee, um, and and this was a change that a very important change a little over a year ago that took effect uh, that <clears throat> industrial hemp includes uh, sort of the tincture oils topical form really the consumer ready mm -hmm. you know versions of the plant yeah which that didn't exist before. Um, and so that has really allowed the very small industry we have now uh, to grow and to start to become an industry, mm -hmm. you know, and it's still in its infancy, um, but it is a growing industry. And the extent of, you know, cannabis law in Tennessee uh, is is very, very narrow. Um, it's there's not much there. Mm -hmm. um, the Department of Agriculture, uh, which is the body, the uh, department that issues licenses for cannabis industry members, uh, has promulgated rules and published rules. Uh, but there's nothing, you know, I receive a lot of questions as one of the only attorneys kind of out there, you know, online as, you know, uh, uh, knowledgeable to any degree about, you know, cannabis industry and the licenses and, and growing and processing. I get a lot of calls and a lot of questions. Uh, you know, can you sell it to, you know, minors? Can you, can I purchase the oil from a supplier and bake it into cookies that I sell at my coffee shop? Can I, you know, and, there's not a lot of guidance there. There aren't a lot of restrictions in the law. Uh -huh. You know, doesn't mean, you know, you won't draw attention, you know, uh, like several retailers have over the past few months and, uh, and the whole candy crush, you know, uh -huh. uh, ordeal, which, which turned out, you know, in a very positive way for uh, those who, play by the rules and, and are in the industrial hemp industry, you know, here in Tennessee. But the last thing I'll say is, and I get a question about this a lot, like, you know, can you, you know, ingest, use, like what's being grown in Tennessee and what's it, what's it being used for? What's the market here? And I think most people usually either kind of go left or right and going left is, Hey, you know, 
I want to grow big acreage mm -hmm. and you know, this is a weed, right? Mm -hmm. So surely it's easy to grow, yeah. you know, which is, which is, uh, as any cannabis farmer will tell you is couldn't be, you know, further from the truth. It's, it's a very difficult plant, especially here in Tennessee uh -huh. to grow and harvest and process. But, you know, you can grow it with your business model being, you know, I want to try to sell, you know, my harvest, you know, uh, uh, you know, to industry, you know, for textiles, for just kind of bulk processing, um, you know, for uh, to be ground into powder that, you know, I can then, you know, inject into my smoothie at Smoothie King or, you know, purchase at Kroger or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And then you have the business models and businesses that want to grow a small lot um, and for, you know, high quality buds, you know, high, you know, terpenes and all of these things, um, uh, you know, high, you know, cannabinoid profiles for, you know, human consumption, uh, for all, all sorts of, you know, you can, you know, read about, you know, all of the different, uh, you know, benefits and ways people use, uh, you know, industrial hemp cannabis oil, the high CBD oils. Uh, you know, online, there's a, there's a, there's a ton out there now. Uh, and so some people focus on that mm -hmm. area. Maybe they do an indoor grow, they do an out, outdoor grow, but they may only grow five acres, mm -hmm. you know, or two or three acres. Um, and uh, put a lot of care into creating a product that will then, you know, be consumed, you know, uh, by an end user in a bomb oil, whatever it is, form, mm -hmm. you know. So that's where we are in Tennessee now. Yeah. You know, there is another statute that pertains to higher THC uh, products. Mm -hmm. I believe it's nine tenths. It goes from three tenths to nine tenths, I think, uh, for just a few conditions, uh -huh. okay. like intractable seizures and some others. Mm -hmm. And um, last time I looked into it, I think there were less than 10 individuals in Tennessee taking advantage of that. You've got to surrender your driver's license if it hasn't already been sur been surrendered by mandatory reporting of a neurologist to the state if you've wow. had uh, grand mal seizures mm -hmm. and loss of consciousness seizures and those sorts of things. So this most recent bill was just trying to really expand, you know, uh, uh, what is uh, currently allowed, you know, uh -huh. for the higher, you know, kind of full-spectrum THC products. Right. For those individuals suffering, you know, with painful conditions and who are otherwise using opioids. And, uh, you know, I think most of us have heard the arguments, the pro pro and con arguments, you know, uh -huh. behind behind expansion for medical purposes. So. Right. Um, but it's an it's an interesting industry that's, uh, you know, even though it's just industrial hemp, you know, for the, you know, at least the next 12 months, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's a. That's that's a promising, you know, industry for a lot of people. Yeah. You know, um, and and it's growing. Mm -hmm. You know, albeit slowly, it's it's growing. You yeah. know. Yeah, for so. sure. Did that um, news article that you referred to was there ever another or news story? I guess was there ever another story afterwards that kind of counteracted and told that actually this was totally legal? Or yes. Okay. That's yeah. Good, at least. There were in the same local news stations that reported, you know, initially, uh, -huh. uh 
then reported, you know, immediately after. Yeah. Uh, when charges were dismissed and, uh-huh. and you know, for why and, uh, and, and just, and then, you know, said what you would hope you know, to come out of it. That's all reporting the news is great, yeah. but also reporting on, hey, you know, here is, you know, here is the product and here's what's legal in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that happened, reporting on industrial hemp and what's actually legal happened after the whole Candy Crush episode mm-hmm. and all the shops were padlocked and, and you know, products were seized. But I did not see it after the two-week, you know, the story that took place two weeks ago uh, about the young guy, you know, with seizures on oil. No, I haven't seen that, yeah. you know. Um, and maybe that's maybe I should have reached out, you know. I, I don't know. Maybe that's on me, <laughs> on me to <laughs> no. some degree, you know. No, yeah. but really to reach out to the station and say, hey, just yeah. kind of FYI, I'm not – um, you know, looking to smear, but I just want to share kind of this truth and this education. Like, here's the state of this now. Like, you know, viewers, first of all, this guy and this family should know that this type of product is legal in Tennessee, mm-hmm. 100%. So if you're worrying about order, you know, uh, quit worrying right. and buy it from a Tennessee producer mm-hmm. and demand lab test results and compare those to those of this company out of Colorado. And that way you're getting all in Tennessee. You don't have to worry about shipping it across state lines. You don't have to worry about those things. But there may have been 17 people who saw that story and said, man, I'd love to try a product just like that. You know, I've, I'm on two anti-epileptic medications and they're making me feel like, you know, the Grim Reaper's on my back and, he, and he, you know, and I can't shake him off. And if I could just try something like that, please, please pass this bill. Whereas, you know, in actuality, there are products, you know, that are that are here in Tennessee and are perfectly legal uh, where, you know, efficacy, you know, may be found, you right. know, for certain individuals, you know. So yeah. I have not seen that story, you know, is um, there are bits and pieces in stories, you know, for here and there. But um I, and I think honestly, just a lot of uh, you know people in other industries, consumers, you know, reporters, just really don't understand, you know, just the state of the legality. You know, what is legal and right. what's not, and what you know. Um, yeah, I, I just think there's innocent ignorance there. For sure. Yeah, yeah. they're covering so many topics that it's. Uh, probably not one they're covering as often as others. So yeah. yeah, that's a good... And there is a great association, uh, the TNHIA, the Tennessee Hemp Industry Association. Uh-huh. And I periodically go to their meetings. Uh, you can find them online. Uh, they post their meetings. It's open to the public. Uh, and uh, And they're great. You can really learn a lot there. You can meet industry members, ask questions. It's a very welcoming, warm and welcoming group. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think every other meeting is is at MTSU uh-huh. uh, and then Nashville. They kind of, you know, flip-flop. But, uh, yeah, so for anyone, you know, who's interested in learning more, learning about, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, ind- other industry members and associations, mm-hmm. you know, check out. T-N-H-I-A. Yeah, that's yeah, great. Yeah, for sure. Know. Yeah. Um, and then I also wanted to ask you, 
if there's any other, we've just talked about some areas of law that are, are sort of niche that you've found um, finding expertise in or having expertise in is beneficial. Is there anything else out there that you see opportunity in um, to kind of for either yourself or for another emerging attorney to um, kind of create a niche for themselves? Yeah, that's a that's a tough question. Um, just trying to keep up with, you know, the speed at which these two industries move, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's like like my dad says, like alcohol and weed. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's what my that's 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 what my son does. He's an alcohol <laughs> weed attorney. Yeah. Get questions about booze or weed calling. You know. But right. just to try to keep up, you yeah. know, uh, it, you know, is tough. Uh, for me, I'm starting to get questions in here in Tennessee about like, hey, Curtis, so what's legal again in the cannabis space? Okay. And uh, what are people buying that for? Mm-hmm. You know, okay. You know, it's a health supplement. People are, so can I brew a beer with that? Mm-hmm. Can I <laughs> like put it like offer at the bar, like a shot of that in yeah. my beer? Can I, so, you know, there's some interesting uh you know, and uh, that's being done, you know, in some other states where uh, brewing some beers with, you know, cannabis oil and that sort of thing. But, um, but you know, it's, yeah, it as far as just, you know, other kind of, you know, niches out there, you know, I, I'm sure there's so many industries. Yeah. You know, there's just so many, period. Right. Um, and, um it's just, you know, first of all, when you're graduating law, it's getting a job, you right. know, it's getting, it's getting experience. And for me, at least, like paying off student loans, which I'm still chipping away at, yeah. you know. Um, and uh, and then just, you know, feeling comfortable with who you're surrounded by, right. you know, um, and understanding that, you know, it takes some grit, you know. And it sounds like, oh, wow, you know, like, you know, you're practicing in the alcoholic beverage and cannabis industry. It's like, man, you know, what a, you know, what a career. What a, it's like, I'm at my desk. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, right. I'm hacking it out, you yeah. know, like I'm grinding it right. out at a desk. Like, that's what I'm doing the large majority of the time. Right. Uh, I wish I could tell you that daily I was, you know, on you know, tours of, you know, interesting businesses and do this. But I love the subject matter. And, you know, I love, you know, taking these businesses in industries that I'm interested in and are, you know, uh, so constantly evolving and changing so rapidly um, and truly being, you know, a counselor, you know, and and being that type of attorney. And I knew my dad's an attorney. uh, uh, And so I grew up. He's a small town attorney Mm -hmm. and and he and my brother practiced together in my hometown. Mm -hmm. And so I spent more hours than I care to, you know, recount in his in his office and in his room where he's counseling. And so just seeing that, I, you know, I always, you know, felt that my skill set was, you know, uh, was as a counselor to some degree, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and, you know, I, I enjoy that. I enjoy doing that. Um, but, you know, it's it's still you got to, you know. You got again. I'm not a member of the band. I'm not in there. You know, I'm not in there. Uh, you know, conceptualizing the the next 
IPA style that we're right. going to offer that try to, you know, uh, shoot through the stratosphere. So, uh, you know, I'm there handling the boring stuff you yeah. know, <laughs> to a large degree, you know. So it's keeping, you know, that's probably the best advice for young attorneys is like just knowing that going into it right. and maintaining that perspective, yeah. you know. Um, and, uh, yeah. Yeah. Got to be in it for the long haul. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Uh, great. Well, we'll um, now move into a few questions, just more about you personally. Um, is there any, one thing that people would be surprised to learn about you that um, they might not know? Maybe. Um, <laughs> and I appreciate you asking that question because I do kind of have a, a cause that I like to uh, uh, champion uh, whenever I get a chance and spread awareness about and um so i was was born with a mass in my brain which was not discovered until december 2014 uh, i got into a mountain biking accident in december 2014 suffered a concussion uh went and saw my primary care physician who was dr ben rowan at hillsborough medical group here in nashville and he's fantastic uh, he says, yeah, Curtis, you've suffered a concussion. You know, I see that, uh, uh, you know, let's, you seem to be okay. You know, you're certainly shaken up. Let's just put you in a, you know, get a scan of your head, put you in a CT machine, just take a look at everything, make sure everything's fine. Well, that was the first scan of my head I've ever had. Um, and they found a mass in my left frontal lobe that is the size of a large egg and occupying a great deal of space. Um, so you can imagine, you know, all of the questions, uh, you know, at that time, hey, come back tomorrow for an MRI for further review. Um, and so I did. And what they discovered is that uh, I uh, uh, had uh, an AVM, which is a it's it's technically a rare disease. It's a rare brain disorder, arteriovenous malformation. In uh, a in a rare disease is uh, defined as a disease that affects less than two hundred thousand people in the United States. Uh, this was a congenital congenital birth defect, and what an AVM is 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 a mass comprised of millions of twisted and tangled arteries, veins, and vessels. And in the third trimester, when our brains are kind of being, you know, the finishing touches are being put on our brain, uh, you have arteries, you know, which, which push high-volume blood and are thick-walled and tough. And then you have veins, which are very delicate, which feed our body. And so chemicals are released by the arteries and the veins. They talk to each other, ideally, mm -hmm. and capillaries are formed. Uh, so that's to take this blood, to lower the pressure, calm everything down so that it, the blood then enters the veins in a nice peaceful way that, th that can then feed the body. And so in an AVM, there's a breakdown in that system and, and it's a hostile environment for blood. And so we discover this uh, and, you know, my wife and I immediately start meeting with brain surgeons, neurologists, you know, here, consulting with doctors out of town. You know, what can we do? Uh, well, we can't remove it. That's what we do ideally uh, because it's it's too deep. It's 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 located too deeply in your brain. Um, so we recommend uh, a form of brain surgery 
that's called gamma knife radiation. Um, and so long story short, uh, that's that's what I underwent in 2015 in Pittsburgh at UPMC in Pittsburgh. There's a doctor there, Dr. Dade Lunsford, who who worked in with others to develop the technology, and he's he's fantastic. Um, so the mass, you know, my my brain has grown around this mass. Uh-huh. You know, it's grown with my body. Yeah. Um, and what's powerful is to know that you know the mountain biking really saved my life. I like to say, you yeah. know, it's, but. Uh, so, you know, differing doctors have different opinions about, you know, what's causing the sniffles or a cough, mm-hmm. you know. So you could imagine with this, all the differing opinions about how to treat, you know, kind of what to do. Right. Uh, but the one consensus was, you know, had you not discovered this, mm-hmm. then you would have been the guy, you know, holding your daughter's hand, you know, doing whatever, you know, walking, you know, with your family and just kind of drop dead, you know, wow. by age 50 statistically. Wow. You know, by an aneurysm, a brain bleed, you know, whatever it is. Um, so underwent the radiation, uh, uh, experienced seizures for several months, was on a- anti-epileptics and tried cannabis oil, CBD oil. Um, and that allowed me to, you know, titrate off the epileptic medications yeah. and uh, and and really worked for me. Right. Um, and, you know, I started had tremendous, you know, brain scans, you know, after, uh, after using the oil and, and, uh, yeah. And it's a, you know, a product I use, you know, today, you know, uh, the, the Tennessee, you know, legal version of, of, uh, industrial hemp, you know, oil. So it's, you know, when I can, I like to spread awareness, Uh you know, um, just about not only rare diseases, but specifically, you know, brain disorders and, you know, if if you ever have a a weird, painful headache, you know, get real tired, you you know, there's so many signs, um, just things that are out of the ordinary, funky, you know, dizzy spells, you know, that, that aren't just a one-time occurrence that so don't go away. Mm-hmm. You go see your doctor, yeah. get a scan. doesn't mean you have an AVM, mm-hmm. but it may mean you have an aneurysm. It may mean, you know, uh, there's so many types of, really scary, you know, deadly, debilitating, uh, vascular, um, conditions, mm-hmm. uh, that, that kind of knock and, and give you a sign they're there, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, people just, well, I'll take a few Excedrin and, you know, go to bed or whatever, and they don't wake up, mm-hmm. you know? And so they give you a sign they're there and that can be detected and treated. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of the call, you know, for people like me, kind of the call to action. Like, I'm so fortunate. Right. Like, my AVM is large, yeah. and it's still there. Yeah. And and what the radiation is doing is obliterate it, you know, and scar it up. But uh-huh. I'm here talking to you. Believe me, I've read all the studies, and there are so many, um, a very, very high percentage of AVM sufferers mm-hmm. um, who, you know, have had the same treatment that I've had. Um, and it's just kind of a part of it that yeah. now are, you know, paraplegics mm-hmm. or, you know, lost the use of their right arm or mm-hmm. can no longer smile or cry. And, you know, yeah. if, if facial paralysis or, uh, you know, or, or, you know, can't remember why they're here or, you know, who they're, and, uh, yeah, so it's, 
that's something about me yeah. that not a ton of people know. Yeah. Well, no, that's you know, huge. And, I mean, and uh, and it's uh, it, I'm not a particularly I'm not a religious guy, uh, um, but it's you know facing something like this, and there are plenty of people out there who have you know faced you know cancer and you know at an early age and just other threats to your you know mortality. Mm-hmm. Um, if you make it through it, uh, and a, and a good friend told me this, who, who is my age and is a good law school friend of mine who's a cancer survivor right after I was diagnosed, he was like, you know, best thing about this is it's given me my silver haired perspective is what he called it. He said, I'm now in my thirties and I've faced that. And so I like to think I have a perspective that usually naturally, you know, human beings, uh, if they're lucky, you know, receive when they're in their 60s, 70s, when they're starting to face, look down the the end of the road, you know, and start right. to say, wow, I really should start to appreciate, like, you know, every little moment, you know, going to my child's, you know, uh, baseball game or about whatever it is, you know, or um, doing things you may not otherwise, you know, choose to do first, you right. know, uh, in our precious time. Um, but, yeah, so it's a... It's a valuable thing, and uh, that's that's why I love mountain biking so much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> no, that's and I mean, it just gives so much more, I think, meaning to like why you're passionate about and is connected to your work with uh, some of the cannabis stuff that you do, and right. you know, makes a lot. I think having that story just uh, really can kind of. If as you try to champion that cause for uh, bringing awareness to the, um, you know, the effectiveness of cannabis and just trying to bring transparency to the true legal, um, what's legal and what's not, that really, um, I think, will speak to people. So, sure. Yeah. yeah. I appreciate sharing. that. Yeah. 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 Um, to go on to a much more kind of surface level uh, mm-hmm. question, do you have any um, like favorite national outings or your favorite place for you and your wife to go to dinner or um, favorite, yeah, just local spots? Yeah. Uh, so we, uh, I think both naturally and by necessity, because we do have an 18 month old, you right. know, daughter, like uh, love staying in the neighborhood uh-huh. as much as we can. Um, and, uh, and so living in East Nashville, you know, there are so many great places, you know, around oh, yeah. Eastland Cafe, you know, 210 Jack, Lachlan Table. Um, uh, those are certainly Butcher and Bee. Those are certainly some of our favorites, you yeah. know. Um, but, uh, yeah, so uh, in, in terms of outings, again, you know, just kind of loving the outdoors. If someone's new to Nashville, uh, typically – you know, one of the first questions I ask is, you know, have you been to Percy Warner, Edwin Warner Parks? You know, have you seen that? Because as a law student who was here, I think it was my second week in Nashville that summer, mm-hmm. you know, where I came up in 2007, um, you know, I went, just kind of got online, you know, where's a good place to go, go for a run, go for, you know, a trail run, you know, run to and cross-country type of run, and I discovered those parks. And I remember the first time it hit me, like, yeah, this is where I'm going to live. Yeah. Like, this is the 
this is the town I'm moving to next. Like, this is the next phase. It was, you know, like running through Deep Well at Percy Warner Park, like climbing, like getting on the ridge top, just looking around like, yeah, this is it. Yeah. This, this feels right. Like, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to figure this out, <laughs> yeah. you know? And, uh, and yeah, so that's one of the first questions I ask. Like, just go there. I don't care if you have 30 minutes, three hours. Just it's so unique to have, you know, such a large city, uh, you know, with such a, you know, metropolitan feel to have a – how many acres is that place? I mean, nearly 2,000 acres, like in the middle of our town, really. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's right there. Yeah. And then you go to the east side and you have Shelby Bottoms, you know, which is fantastic. You like to run. You like to bike. Um, And one area that's being expanded of the Greenway system is uh, the old Ravenwood Country Club, Mm -hmm. um, which is, I think, technically in Donaldson. Um, But uh, that's a really neat place. Metro Parks has purchased it now. Okay. And uh, and it's it's on the Greenway. Mm -hmm. You know, if you get on the Greenway and ride a bicycle from Shelby Bottoms to the Percy Priest Dam, uh-huh. you you bicycle right past it, and there's an entryway into the Greenway. 18 holes and all the cart paths and everything are now, like, you know, bike trails and Greenway. So that's also really neat, which is kind of a new addition. I mean, brand new. Metro just started working on that Yeah. Uh, to the Greenway system, um, and uh, which I love. I love our Music City bikeways and Greenway system and the Tour de Nash is coming oh, up. That's yeah. a great event. I if you like ticket. to ride a bicycle, yeah, yeah I'll be there too. <laughs> yeah, you know? awesome. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Great. I know. Well, and I love to hear you say that about uh, Edwin and Percy Warner Park because growing up here, that was kind of like the park that we always went to. And I ran those stairs and soccer practice in middle school. And yeah. so I think I definitely took those areas for granted. Now being back here, I just I almost don't think about them because it was like where we went on the weekends. And um, and I, you know, take kind of just how green and beautiful yeah. Middle Tennessee is for granted. But every time we um, come like flying on an airplane, my husband's from Oklahoma and he's just still blown away. I mean, we've been living here together for two years and he's like, it is so green here. I just yeah. can't get over how green it is. And it's for me, it's just something that I, I don't think about because it's kind of my normal. But sure. um, yeah, it's that is something really unique about Tennessee. Yeah. And there are so many, you know, newcomers to Nashville, you know, who meet and they have no idea that, you know, just pick a direction. And, you know, on a weekend within two hours, you know, in any direction, you can have an amazing experience. You know, you can go into Kentucky and go to land between the lakes. You can go towards Chattanooga and, you know, hike the Fiery Gizzard Trail or go to Mont Eagle or you can go east. You can. There's so much you can do. Fall, you know, Fall Creek Falls State Park. We just went there. We go there every March, you know, and stay in a fisherman's cabin and just enjoy the uh, – so there's just so much. Yeah. You know, there's so much uh, that is all easily accessible – you know, uh, for, for a weekend trip, you know, in a short drive. And, um, yeah, it's a beautiful state. Yeah, no, it's so true. I'm almost positive that we're the only, or Tennessee has more bordering states than any other state in the U S which when you think about it, makes sense we'll just say so it long. yeah let's yeah. just say it as, yeah, as we'll fact yeah i feel like i remember um hearing that growing up so anyways yeah. i'll but, go with it yeah. i'll buy that <laughs> yeah I'll buy that. exactly but yeah no that is 
inspires me. There is so many great hiking um, areas and just state parks and stuff that are just, you know, a couple hours outside of Nashville. And I think it's easy to forget about that. But Yeah. I mean, um, there's so many areas where you can go on a hike, <clears throat> you know, swim, experience a waterfall, and, you know, in the same afternoon – Enjoy a fine tasting at a local craft distillery or brewery. Yeah, so true. <laughs> Best of both worlds. That's right. <laughs> All right. That's well, right. thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. I've learned a ton, and I know our listeners have too. And um, really appreciate you taking the time out of your evening. I really enjoy it. Yeah, let's do part two sometime soon. Sounds great. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Curtis. Thank you. out to share your experiences with us by emailing new in Nashville podcast at gmail.com. You can also sign up for our mailing list and access our social media at www.newinnashvillepodcast.com. If you enjoyed the show, please review and subscribe on iTunes and refer our podcast to a friend today. Thanks again to Nashville Fit Magazine for sponsoring this week's program. Don't forget to pick up their latest issue at your local gym and to connect with them at NashvilleFitMagazine.com or on Instagram at NashvilleFit. Thank you to Jared Anderson of Evergreen Productions for producing and engineering our podcast. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time. The music in this episode is provided by Carrie Ann Larson. She is a singer-songwriter who strives to write songs that people hear their own stories in. You can find her music, including her latest single, Fairweather Friend, on all digital platforms.